Charles Babbage once said regarding his difference engine, On two occasions I have been asked, Pray, Mr. Babbage, if you put in the machine wrong figures, will the right answers come out? I am not able to rightly apprehend the kind of confusion of ideas that can provoke such a question. This is Save versus Rand. Welcome to Save vs. Rant. I'm John. And I'm Jeremy. Today we're talking about bookkeeping and gaming. Hey John, I've got a little thought experiment for you. Okay. Okay, so you're a 5th level barbarian in Pathfinder. 5th level Pathfinder barbarian. Alright, and you are raging. Raging, yep. And you have a plus 2 greatsword. Plus 2 greatsword. And you have a 5th level bard in your party. 5th level bard in my party. Who's who's singing, obviously. Uh, Singing. uh, Bardic performance goes up at... Seventh level, so it's still only the plus one. All right. Plus two. And uh, the cleric in your party has cast both bull strength on you. Bull strength gives me a plus two. And bless. Bless, okay. The wizard in your party has cast haste on everyone in the party. Haste on everyone, okay. So the haste. And the rogue in your party is flanking the enemy with. Flanking the enemy, another plus two. Uh, What is your bonus to hit? Uh, Wait, what am I fighting? Uh, you're fighting a dragon. Oh, shoot. I've got a, I've got a glaive that's actually, it's plus one, but it's plus three against dragons, so I better switch to that. Now, you see, this sort of example sounds extreme, but this stuff happens all the time in games. It really does. That actually could be in the middle of combat. Someone could come in at that point, or someone could have to take a call, step out, come back in, okay, wait, what's my bonus? And you have to calculate it right there on the fly. Which is really a pain in the butt. Yeah, there's kind of a cliche, um, at least in my gaming group, and I think in a lot of gaming groups, where I got a 20. Well, that misses. Well, actually, it was a 21. and No, a 22 because of this. Okay, that misses too. 24. Okay, you hit. All right, guys, we know that the armor class is between 22 and 24. Yeah, but the whole point is that this is an example of bookkeeping in role-playing games and what is bookkeeping and what are the origins of bookkeeping in games in general well uh we were discussing before we were uh recording here that bookkeeping in games is is required in almost every single game because the board in board games is part of bookkeeping it's a representation of the history of a game yeah i think the only game we came up with that doesn't actually require bookkeeping is things like rock paper scissors games that are played in a single go with no game state beforehand and no game state afterwards but even games like candyland you have a board which you use to keep track of your location and what colors come in what sequential order. And then you have a deck of cards that tracks which cards have already been played and which cards remain to possibly be played. Uh, we, we were also discussing how if you really wanted to, you could play Candyland entirely mentally. All you'd have to do is have a random sequence of cards, knowing a full randomized sequence, and just go, okay, that gets me to this spot. Okay, that gets me to this spot. Okay, orange. The next orange is three spots ahead, so I move three spots ahead. Yes, okay. And if Mental Candyland sounds a little weird, it's worth noting that there are people who play mental chess. They play an entire game of chess entirely in their heads, and these people aren't actually unusual. These are just people who are somewhat dedicated to the game of chess. And I say somewhat dedicated. These aren't chess masters, necessarily. These are just people who play chess. 
the thing that actually confuses me the most is that there are people who play cribbage without the cribbage board. <laughs> no, that's just silly. Part of the fun of cribbage is a little cribbage board. And bookkeeping is oftentimes used just so that way you know the history. I mean, I work in a casino. Baccarat is a game that people record the history of because they think it'll give them an advantage. Oh my god. Baccarat is almost entirely random. Any advantage you get out of that is going to be a teeny tiny proportion compared to... Actually, I don't know. You know, I don't think mathematically you can get an advantage in Baccarat by recording cards because... Oh, Baccarat. Uh, so let's uh, let, let's talk about bookkeeping. In, in games and... Uh, we're going to be talking about role-playing games because we're, we're more role-players than board gamers. Right. In games, in role-playing games specifically, we have two types of bookkeeping. We have back-end bookkeeping and front-end bookkeeping. Back-end bookkeeping is bookkeeping that you do before the game. Front-end bookkeeping, by contrast, is bookkeeping that you do during the course of the game. A very simple example of front-end bookkeeping would be hit points in a D&D or similar role-playing game, where when you take damage, you reduce this number. When you heal, you increase this number. Um, the example that we gave at the beginning of the episode is a more convoluted example of bookkeeping, of, of front-end bookkeeping. And it's actually interesting to note that that can be mitigated with some back-end bookkeeping. So let's go into examples of back-end bookkeeping in games. Uh, when we were talking about this before, the one that jumped straight to my mind was the character creation in Traveler. Traveler is something of a unique game in its character creation methodology. Um, in earlier editions, it was possible to die during character creation. I think they took that out in the newer ones. I believe they have. You go ahead and explain exactly how it goes. Oftentimes in the Traveler character creation system, you would roll dice to see exactly what happened to you after you've made a choice. Sometimes it would be not very good. Oh, I was dishonorably discharged from the military, as opposed to uh, going out of the military with the Medal of Honor. Um, it also meant uh, your station in life. I have a lot of money saved up. I don't have a lot of money saved up. It was a combination of a chance-based dice game and a choose-your-own-adventure. Right, so you had some decisions to make, and those decisions had some very serious bearing on your character, some of them riskier than others. And you got to balance that against what you were trying to get out of your character. And it was an interesting system, but a little bit over the top as far as the kind of effort most people want to put into play. I mean, it's fun to go through a little choose-your-own-adventure game when you're uh, by yourself just making a character. But when there's a campaign to play, everyone's getting ready for the game, or you lose a character and need to make a new one... It can get pretty tiring. Yeah. I mean, no one wants to read a 50-page novel to get back into a game. Well, actually, it could be kind of interesting. Read a little 50-page novel that the DM slides you to know about the next part of it. You can slowly feed information to your party. I'm thinking about a completely different game, though. <laughs> yeah. What we come away with is the understanding that back-end bookkeeping can uh, contribute to the game. It can allow us to have a richer characters and more interesting options in the game proper. It can also make it so the game flows so much smoother. Uh, there's a wonderful little game, air quotes around wonderful, called GURPS. GURPS is a very, very fun, streamlined system when you're playing, which requires about six hours of 
back-end bookkeeping to make it work. I think the first time I made a GURPS character, it legitimately took me about five hours to finish the character, and I was just trying to make myself with GURPS. Like, you know, I'm slightly above average height. I'm, you know, I, I think I'm about average strength. Things like that. You know, I was just making very simple decisions. I have well-rounded but not particularly exotic skill set. I sat and worked and worked and worked and worked and worked at it. But what you end up with after all that is a character that you can play and know every little thing about. Oh, I need to make this roll. You roll your dice and you have your answer immediately. The DM can go, oh, there's a minus this penalty, minus that penalty, and it's done. Yeah, it's very simple to make modifications to what you're expected because you have so much information right in front of you that anything that comes up, you're typically very well prepared for. You are able to jump right into it. And that's one of the strengths of GURPS. One of the weaknesses of GURPS is that they never actually finish the game, so you have to put it together yourself. But Do you want to play a horror game? Here, buy this extra book to play this horror game. Oh, sorry, you want it to be a horror sci-fi? Here's two books for you. Wait, a specific horror sci-fi? Alien? Here you go, a third book. To be fair, back in the bad old days of gaming, this was actually a feature you're learning a single system which can be applied to many different genres and settings, and that's just so awesome back in the day. D&D even tried to do that with a few things, but I'm off on a tangent right now. Let's go back to the topic at hand. Uh, we're talking about back-end bookkeeping, things that took a little while. Uh, Rifts. I love Rifts. Rifts is an amazing setting. It's so weird and out there and unique. And its rule set is not very good. It takes a long time to make a Rifts character, even if you know what you're doing. You can play all sorts of different characters. Do you want to play a dragon? You can play a dragon in Rift. Do you want to play a cyborg? You're a cyborg. Have fun. Uh, do you want to play a juicer? Someone who is like Bane from Batman? Yeah, go right ahead. That's actually a really cool character to play. Uh, you get all these cool little bonuses, penalties to psychic abilities, but the ability to, like, super juice and get a big bonus to strength. And it plays perfectly well with a guy in a mech suit. Well, I say perfectly well, mega damage, and that, that's yeah, neither... You get your head blown off, and then it's all over, but that's not the point. The point is, it's a very vivid and rich setting... But there's a lot more back-end bookkeeping. It's another example of a game where things like making your character, preparing for sessions, all of that requires a lot of paperwork. So, on my sheet here, it says Twilight 2000. I'm not actually familiar with that game. What, what is Twilight 2000, uh, yes, John? Twilight, um, it's a game set in a post-apocalyptic world, a very recently post-apocalyptic world. Character creation is done by... Taking your character as a regular run-of-the-mill person with just regular rolled-up stats, then you advance them in certain ways throughout the years of their life. You're basically simulating a life, and you get to choose what they did. Did they go to med school? Did they do this? Did they do that? And the older you get, typically the more your base stats degrade. You know, you get you get a less, uh, less sharp mind, you get weaker, you get less constitution all of that but you make up for that by picking up all sorts of new skills and abilities and uh and civilian or military honors that can carry over which resulted in a weird paradox where all of the generals were considerably worse specimens than all the cadets but that's not the point the point is 
it was a lot of paperwork to make a character, so much so that when the Twilight computer game came out, the Twilight 2000 computer game, people were buying it just because it had a built-in character generator for the game. Well, if you want to talk about built-in character generators, there was a really, really awful game that had a two-button character creation that also told you about your anal circumference. Oh my god! Oh yes, Fatal. Um, Fatal is kind of legendary in the uh, gaming world because no one's certain that if, if it was just an elaborate trolling or if it was a serious game made by a serious person. But Fatal is well known for being originally called Fancy Adventures Adult Le- oh. Uh What was it? Fantasy Adventures Through Adult Lettery or Fantasy Adventures... Um... Oh, I can't even remember the acronym at this point. The The new acronym is From Another Time, Another Land, which is actually pretty clever, but uh, doesn't really make up for anything else about it. But there is a character generator available for it. Um, the character generation in Fatal is shockingly hands-off, but still requires an enormous amount of paperwork. So... All of these that we've talked about so far are simulating the life of the character, giving them their bonuses and abilities before they join the game. I think my favorite type of character creation and uh, back-end bookkeeping is actually the group back-end bookkeeping, the one where uh, everyone comes together as a party. How do you know each other? We're talking like the Dresden Files. We're talking Monster Hearts and Apocalypse World. Oh yeah, great examples. Um, all of those games have something where you link all the characters together in interesting ways. The Dresden Files was built around the concept that your character had been in stories previously and had been in one of their one of the other player characters' story, and one of the other player characters had been in their story. So. It talks about how all the characters fit together, how they know each other, what the conflict was that they all came together through, and it makes for a very interesting and rich character creation. The whole first session is, in fact, establishing the characters as a group. You don't actually play the current story, you play the past story, figuring out how everyone is here, which I really enjoyed. That's... I, I could probably play four or five sessions of just that. It's actually a lot of fun. Um, Apocalypse World and Dungeon World and all of the games in the World series, uh, which I believe started with Monster Hearts. I think it did, but I, I can't... Apocalypse World might have been first, but it was either Monster Hearts or Apocalypse World. All of those games, when you choose a character... It has questions that it asks. Uh, for instance, for the brain or an apocalypse world, one of the questions is, who have you watched sleeping and when? And a lot of creepy questions like that, really interesting atmospheric stuff, especially considering the history and concept behind each of the characters. The brainer is a sort of demented psychic. There's a gang leader who has an entire group of bikers or whatever at his disposal. There's the gun lug, someone who does nothing but shoot a big gun. There's the driver, someone who has some sort of pimped out vehicle and in each of these examples there is questions that you have to answer about the rest of the group um who do you think is the weakest who let you down things like that they all helped create an atmosphere but they also have rules ramifications in the 
system in question. And that's actually a really cool feature of those games is the questionnaire you you work out together with the rest of the party. So you said questionnaire. There's a game that I, I've been kind of salivating over. I, I love this game. It's called Dread. The entire character sheet for your uh, character is just a series of questions that you answer, often long-form essay-style, about your character. Why is your character missing his left eye? Which one of your relatives would you never go to for help? Why does your character implicitly trust the police, even though he's been in jail? All sorts of questions like that build atmosphere, build story. Uh, I actually have the Dread book right here. I'm going to flip to a random page in it and read some of the questionnaire questions from it. Okay, let's do this. Uh, what other superhero do you try most to emulate? Despite generally being a pacifist, what situation always leads you to violence? Why are you rarely bothered by the things that frustrate most other people? What did you inherit from your father that you never thought you would use? All, all sorts of questions that lead you down a path that imply a story there and get you in the right mindset for this game. So those are some great examples of back-end bookkeeping, both of the mathematical variety, as in cases like GURPS and Twilight 2000, and also of the non-mathematical variety, those types that are just for storytelling and story building and even a little world building. If I recall, the Dresden Files game, you're supposed to actually work co uh, collectively on the setting as well. Uh, yeah, you, you come up with a number of places in the city that you're in or in the area that you're in that you can go to and that will be featured in the game. Right. And those are all very interesting systems. And even the ones that are heavily mathematical do have their place and purpose. They, they help us to try to eliminate the front end bookkeeping, which is what we're going to talk about now. The most interesting carryover, the, the thing that bridges from back end to front end, is uh, specifically in D&D, the leveling up and spellcasting systems. You've leveled up. You now have to go through books and write things down real quick before you can keep playing the game. Spellcasting, you make all these choices before the game that you then play out in-game. D&D spellcasting is, I believe, the biggest example of, uh, of front-end bookkeeping. Almost every D&D edition has had you have giant sheets of paper where you go through and go, okay, I've prepared magic missile, burning hands, color spray, and knock. In a lot of cases, you have to say what spells you know as well. There's a, there's a pool of spells you select from. So there's a little bit of back-end bookkeeping and a little bit of front-end bookkeeping there. Spellcasting is a great example of that. You have to keep track of which spells you've cast, which spells you have available to you, how much of these spells you have available to you, and on the back-end, what they do, which you usually want to have fairly well nailed down before you even cast the spell. Yeah, I mean, no one wants to come into a session and go, okay, so it says I have Chilling Touch. Can I use that on my beverage to call, uh, cool it down? Uh, wait, wait, no, th this little girl that we uh, just uh, rescued, she has a fever. I'm going to use Chilling Touch on her to reduce her fever. Yeah, you should have a pretty good grasp of what your spells do before you uh, get to the casting of them. But uh, we're both DMs, John. One of the things that you have to have as front-end bookkeeping in D&D is initiative. You have to keep track every combat. Roll for initiative. Okay, who's going in what order? That's 
front-end bookkeeping you have to do. Who's delaying, who's preparing actions. You have to move people around the initiative order sometimes. Sometimes it's not as simple as just lining everybody up and calling it a go. Maybe someone joins the fight, some reinforcements. Maybe someone gets knocked out and comes back in later. So that can all shift. That's an example of front-end bookkeeping that you can't really push off onto the back-end at all. There's no good way to do away with the initiative system and just skip it all together. It has to be done on the front end. There's also environmental modifiers. All right, so there's a 10-mile-an-hour wind at your back. That actually increases your uh, your range on your shots by 10 feet. Go ahead and uh, mark that out so, and realize that when you're measuring for medium range. Uh, there's also other environmental uh, factors. Oh, you're uphill. You have the high ground, Anakin you get a bonus there. And so many, so many numbers to have to keep track of as a DM. It can be quite, quite a headache. So it can, it can be difficult to keep it all in your mind, which I believe was uh, one of the best things that 5th edition came up with, the advantage and disadvantage system. Yeah, with advantage and disadvantage, you don't typically change numbers around. You just determine if the character has advantage, disadvantage, or both. They have advantage, they roll two dice, take the highest. If they have disadvantage, they roll two dice, take the lowest. And if they have both in any quantity, they get neither. Cancels out, just roll your d20. It's very, very elegant. It is elegant, it is simple, it is straightforward, and it is easy to understand. It is also mathematically beautiful, incidentally. Mm -hmm. Which is something that I do believe that we'll talk about at some point in the future. Yeah, mathematic beauty, that, that has to be a topic for another day, unfortunately. The biggest thing that we have to do, at least as DMs, is to push as much front-end bookkeeping to the back. We have to know what our monsters do. We have to know what the area contains. That way we can keep the session flowing, flowing well. Because players often don't keep track of everything, and they, they have all the bonuses that pile up. Yeah, players have to keep track of their material, so the DM usually tries to... I think the most important thing as a DM, as far as bookkeeping is concerned, is to be prepared for the action of the game. That doesn't mean being aware of everything a player might try to do, but it means, for example, if you know that there are kobolds in this area, you have a few extra kobolds lying around in case some kobolds need to show up for some reason. Or if the party is in a tavern... You should kind of have a few tavern people set up with stats in case they start a barroom brawl or they need to use bluff or diplomacy on them and you need to know what their stats are. Well, I mean, you might not want to. I personally love going through books and books of options all while ignoring my players that and sounds, their cries for help. That sounds surprisingly like you. No. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do but, have, uh, yeah, I do have one little note here. Um, it, it just says Seafall, and I, I want to bring this up. There's a board game out there right now called Seafall. It, it's a legacy game. It's one of three different legacy games. And the whole point of a legacy game is the game itself changes between each play. And it, it changes how the game works. It changes the rules of the game, which can involve a lot of back-end bookkeeping. Okay, Wait, uh, we can now attack each other's ships. There's this new island here, and every now and then a ghost ship rises out of the waters and attacks us. Good to know. Whereas in the first couple games, it was just, I move here, grab a cube, take it home. That, that was simple. 
That was easy. That was quick. And it's different. And so it's one of the few games where I actually enjoy the back-end bookkeeping as part of the game. Uh, we, we were talking about some of the... Uh, some of the social games that we play, some of the hidden role games, where a lot of the fun of the game actually comes between the game. Yeah, sort of on the back end. It's not so much bookkeeping, but you, you do get that opportunity to discuss the game after the game. You know, if the werewolves manage to pull a come-from-behind victory where the first two werewolves were taken out in the first two turns, but the last werewolf managed to win... I mean that's that's pretty entertaining and impressive and it's good to, it's good to discuss how that happened what tells there were what you thought was going on what you hoped was going on but turned out to be wrong what mistakes were made and what tells you gave that showed which you were werewolf or player uh spyfall that's a good game for that sort of thing specifically Yes, uh, one of my favorite examples, I was I was playing with a group of people that had different levels of skill in these type of bluffing games. And one, one of the people was the spy, and we asked him, how did you get here today? And he said, oh, I drove, which would be a great nondescript answer if we weren't on a space station. It was a great moment, we laughed about it for the rest of the night, and it, it, it's that type of thing that changes into back end where we we laughed about it and we we had that fun for the rest of the night outside of the game and now you know only spies drive into space all right so let's get a little bit of a, a wrap up here why do we have bookkeeping in games well it's part of a game any game with history you require you're required to do some sort of bookkeeping to help remember some of the oldest games in the world senet which was a egyptian game played on a board uh possibly the oldest game of all and definitely the oldest board game used a board why to keep track of things to track what was going on and that's how games work in many cases the game is about the experience of making the moves making the decisions and seeing what the outcome is or even just living the random chance of the game and seeing what the outcome is and you you don't want to have to go wait okay where was this piece okay uh how what did you do three moves ago i i can't remember uh oh crap wait uh am i at 1500 points or 2100 points i can't remember that's that's not fun yes fun is playing the game experiencing it seeing the game state at any given time and being able to react to that game state in your additional moves. And that's what bookkeeping is about, is establishing and holding on to a game state both before and after the game begins and being able to play that game and enjoy it with friends. So that was this episode of Save vs. Rant. Uh, Let's see, what do we have on the schedule? Our next episode is about Kickstarter? Kickstarter, yes. Well, crowdsourcing in general, but I think all my examples are going to come from Kickstarter. I have kind of a beef with Kickstarter. I see it as being a platform that's fundamentally changed the way things work in both good ways and bad ways. When it started, it was a good way for new developers and new designers to get their ideas out there without having to absorb all the costs. But now I feel it's used a lot by established companies to offset the cost that they would normally be absorbing. But that's that's for the next episode. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I'm going to come up with a bunch of examples of good, positive Kickstarters. Things that make me happy that Kickstarter exists. 
and I'm going to come up with the stuff that you wonder how it even got on there in the first place. All right. Thank you guys very much for listening. This has been Save vs. Ram. Jason Sorensen once said, it would be a bookkeeping nightmare to do this on paper and pencil every month. Save vs. Rant is a Tabletop Gamers Guild production. Your hosts are John and Jeremy, with music by Timmy Skittles. Save vs. Rant is recorded on dueling laptops in front of the silent and invisible studio audience. Visit us at savevsrant.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Save vs. Rant. We'd love to hear from you.